the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday show. That means we survived another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. You need only to call us, 210-340-9585 is our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and everything else will be hands-free. Hey, quick programming note. It's not really a programming note. It's a scheduling note for uh, us tonight at Calvary Chapel. I know many of you listen to our uh, Friday Night Bible Studies online. Tonight, we will not be having a Bible study uh, we finished the book of Revelation last uh, Friday night. And what we like to do on Fridays, because we have the time to do it, uh, we're going to have an afterglow tonight. An afterglow is that uh, moment when uh, the body gets to minister to itself. The gifts of the Spirit uh, will be functioning. I'm really excited to hear what the Spirit wants to say to us. I've personally got some some things I'm hoping and, and waiting to hear from. So uh, that's tonight. Um, it will not be live streamed at all. We simply don't have the technology to to do it and, and make it make sense. So uh, tonight there will be no live stream at all. Uh, but um, uh, it's always a great time, and the Lord is always faithful to speak. Tor- typically, there's a, a theme that develops, and uh, we got so much going on here at Calvary Chapel that uh, I'm I'm really anxious to see where the Lord goes uh, with the theme tonight on the program. So that's tonight, and then everything else after this will be regular on Sunday. I'm going to be doing part two of um, my marriage, uh, this time more divorce and remarriage. Um, uh, from Mark chapter 10. And uh, then I'm going to get ready to go on vacation. i got to be honest with you, this is the first day. Now, I've been trying to do this so faithfully, just sort of one day at a time, and I really haven't been thinking about vacation. Uh, but uh, today's the first day when I was ready to go on vacation. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be leaving a week from uh, Monday uh, on vacation. And Paul and I, of course, we're going to uh, hear from the Lord, and and um, we're excited. Need the rest. Okay, let's go to questions. We've had a bunch of them sent in here at the last minute, so let me start with this one. This one is from Mary, and she asks, Do you suppose that Job's wife is in heaven? Um, in Foundations class, we spoke about Job and what his wife said, curse God and die. Based on that statement, do you think she was a believer or just reacting to all of the hard 
trials they've been through. Um, I think, Mary, we have to give Job's wife a lot of grace. A lot of grace. It's easy to point the finger and say, well, she wasn't very supportive. Uh, But remember, she's just lost her children. Um, Her husband is sick. He's he's in agonizing pain. Um, The grief, the the stress uh, will be overwhelming. And I think God is pretty able to take it. Um, uh, She just was frustrated. She was just frustrated. So obviously we don't have an answer to that kind of question. But I want you to remember that at the end of the book, Job blesses them. Uh, I'm sorry, God blesses them. And they have children and their fortune is restored. Uh, in fact, it's it's increased. Um, so so that, that doesn't take away the grief of losing children. But this, this was a woman whose life was just devastated uh, by grief um, uh, all of a sudden. And so my my guess, Mary, would be that we're going to see Job's wife in heaven. And, um, um, you know, when we are grieving, we say some horrible things and sometimes even accuse God unfairly. He has big shoulders. He can take it. And I'm sure that didn't disqualify her at all. So I think personally that she's going to be in heaven. But who knows? Who knows? We'll have all of those questions answered when we get to heaven. Here is a question from our email inbox, and this one is anonymous. Uh, Pastor Ron, what, if anything, does your church do about exorcism? I read an article. An Irish priest in an exorcist is asking the country's bishops for more support after noticing a dramatic increase in demonic activity in the country. Have you been getting those types of calls? If no, is this more of a regional thing and just not as prevalent in the U.S.? Um, um, anonymous, a couple of things. Um, the, the Catholic Church doesn't really deal with exorcism. I mean, that's part of of um, what their their history is, supposedly. But remember, um, you can't fight demons unless you've got the power of God. And I say this cautiously, but but um, the power of God simply not in the Catholic churches and in Irish priests. So I wouldn't worry about it. Now, I, I would agree with them in the sense that that demonic activity is on the increase, but but we should expect that um, in these last days when anything goes and sin uh, is running rampant and God has been removed from virtually every part of secular life. Um, we've given the enemy uh, all kinds of opportunities to manifest, and he's doing that, and he is especially, the enemy is, uh, I think, pressing in on younger and younger and younger people. So um, typically we don't get those kinds of calls. Uh, I just think it's a matter of um, the world that we live in. And remember, things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. You asked, what do we do about exorcism? Um, We've certainly had demon-possessed people in our church. Uh, But one of the great things about about being in a church um, with so much joy and so much love is those people are really not comfortable. Um, We've had a few services over the years interrupted briefly. Um, but typically the people just leave and we don't have to do anything at all. Uh, I have had some private counseling sessions with people over the years uh, where uh, people in their families uh, were were demon-possessed and they brought them to us for prayer and to cast the demons out. Uh, but we don't have a policy about it. I think uh, if the demons show up, if they manifest themselves, we'll deal with it when it happens. But uh, we we don't do anything specific about it. We just take it uh, as it comes. And, of course, Jesus is the one who does all of the fighting for us. Thank you for the question. Here is a question from our email inbox. This one is from Jay. Good afternoon, Pastor On. Can you explain 1 Corinthians 15.28, especially when it states, so God may be all in all? And then he says, Jay does, on the light side, this passage may be intended for us Texans. Uh, Of course, that means the passage would then read, so God may be all in y'all. And then he says, L-O-L. You don't want to have a LOL on my my account. 
Uh, I, I'm not a techie. I don't spend time online. I used to think that LOL was lots of love. I found out that wasn't true. It's laughing out loud, of course. So, um, Jay, for, let me read First Corinthians fifteen twenty-eight. It says, And when all things have been subjected to him, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put all things under him, so that God may be all in all. Speaking of that time when it's going to happen, this is one of the things, Jay, that I think we're going to have the mystery of the Trinity um, unveiled before our eyes um, at, at the at the reconciliation of all things. Um, the Son, that's Jesus, of course, uh, will be made subject to the Father. That's the eternal subjugation of, of the Son to the Father. And the purpose of all of that, including whatever role the Holy Spirit is going to play uh, in the end, means that um, um, God would be the focus of everything the center of everything. Our, our world would be uh, God-centric rather than people-centric or or issue-centric. So that's what it is. It's just that God may be all in all. And that describes a time that's coming at the end of uh, the Great Tribulation when, in fact, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. So, um, Jay, I hope that makes sense to you. You know, Jay talked the Texan the, the Texan joke about about y'all. Uh, I remember the first time we were in in Texas and somebody used uh, y'all twice in a sentence. They looked at me and Paul and said, "I love y'all, both y'all." And I thought, Paul, I think we need an interpreter here. <laughs> and and that was that was what it is. Jay, thank you for that. I appreciate it very very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions, and we'd love to end the week with your live calls. Here's an anonymous question from our mobile app, um, Pastor Ron. Who's your favorite biblical commentator and why? I have a lot of them that I like, but my favorite of all time uh, is F. F. Bruce. Um, he is now, of course, with the Lord. Um, he is the general editor of the New International Commentary Series. Uh, I think, by far, the best commentary series on the New Testament. And they have expanded, by the way, into the Old Testament now. Uh, but the best New, com- New Testament commentary series, uh, I think, ever compiled. And I absolutely love it. F.F. F. Bruce actually uh, did the commentaries on Acts and Romans. Um, himself, but he's a general editor of the rest of them, and I, I just think it's fantastic. The first uh, book I ever read in Bible college was the 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 the, uh, um, the Apostle Set Free. Uh, it's the, the life story of the Apostle Paul by F. F. Bruce, and um, he's brilliant. Uh, his insight, uh, it, God just used it to really, really speak to me. So I would say, without question, he is my favorite. And he's written a lot of stuff that aren't just a Bible commentaries as well, Anonymous. And I can't recommend him enough. Again, he's, it's not easy reading because he is so brilliant. But um, just to me, personally, he's head and shoulders above others. Let me just throw out a few other names just so that um, you have some options. I, I love G. Campbell Morgan. Um, I, I actually... Um, um, love William Newell, uh, N-E-W-E-L-L. John Walford, especially on Revelation and or end time stuff. Uh, Ray Stedman has always been one that I I, uh, I have loved in the past, and his stuff is free. Um, so so those are just just a few, and there's many many more that that are are worth their weight in gold. But my favorite of all time is F.F. F. Bruce. He, he is, F.F. F. Bruce is English, so that's a good one. Let's go to Ruben, our friend Seguin. Ruben, thank you for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor. It's always a pleasure to, to speak to you. How are you doing today? Ruben, I'm doing really, really well. Thank you. That's good. Uh, I watched the... The whole the whole uh, Wednesday night service, I loved it, and uh, man, that little girl! Oh my <laughs> God, 
she was I was crying. She yeah, had yeah. me crying. I was like, "Oh my god, you know, and it this, this is not a prophecy because anyone could see that that yep. little girl has a heart for the Lord and she's going to grow up in the music in the in, in the in the music ministry <laughs> and God is going to use her because she hit every note, every cue. She knew where to come in. She knew where to pause. She knew where to crescendo. She knew where to decrescendo. <laughs> How old is she? Like five? She well, she's she just got out of kindergarten, so she's five or six, probably six. Oh my God, she blessed my heart. Oh, <laughs> thank you for telling me why she just yeah. she she made me cry. Yeah, you know, Ruben, she made me cry, too. I don't know if you could see me in the background, but I kept having to turn around to blow my nose um, with my face away from the camera while she was singing. But, oh, man, what a, what a gift. I'm, I'm really glad you got to watch it. I knew you would appreciate that. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I loved your shirt. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I, really, I really loved it. But, yeah, it was a blessing to watch her. She's, she's going to, God's going to use her in the ministry. So, so I just wanted to call and just tell you that I watched it and, and, uh, <laughs> I was blessed. I was blessed. Thank you. you have a blessed day. Okay. God bless you, my friend. Have a great weekend. God bless. You yeah. Too. You know, not, yeah, not only is God going to use her, he's already used her. I mean, uh, this whole place was filled with crying adults and, um, it was, it was just wonderful. I told Paul at the end of the Bible study, I think that's one of the best things the Holy Spirit ever led me to do uh, in the church. So uh, that's Kieran, bless her heart. Here is a question from Roman from our email inbox. Uh, why did Paul circumcise Timothy if it's not a requirement to be saved? Why did Paul put Timothy through that pain? Is this saying that there are aspects of the law that need to be kept? Um, Roman, no. It has nothing to do with the law of Moses, not at all. It does, however, have everything to do with the royal law of love. Now, here's what we need to understand. Now, we we also remember, let me just give you sort of a justification. Um, Paul didn't require Titus. Um, The pastoral epistles, Titus is one of those epistles. Uh, He didn't require Titus to be circumcised. So why Timothy? Well, Paul knew, as did Timothy, that Timothy was being groomed to take Paul's place or to be Paul's sort of protege. And uh, because he was half Jewish um, and because Paul started every ministry in every town he went into uh, in the synagogue or he went first preaching to Jews before going to Gentiles, uh, if Timothy, Timothy wanted to be used, Paul knew that Timothy wouldn't be allowed in the temples or in the synagogues if he was not circumcised. And so this was one of those things where he was saying, basically, Timothy, uh, if you want to take over for me someday, if you want to follow in my footsteps, then you've got to be available to preach everywhere you go. And you can't go into the Jews unless you are circumcised. And this was just Paul giving Timothy the choice. Paul didn't command it. This was Paul giving Timothy the choice. He made the choice. His choice was, do you want to minister to everybody or do you want to be able to miss out on some? And Timothy wanted to minister to everybody. So this was something that he went through just to create a wider audience for himself. Now, this isn't the church growth kind of thing. This is simply um, uh, Paul saying, Timothy, I want you to come with me, but here's the cost. And Timothy had to weigh the cost, and he was willing to pay it. This was an opportunity, Paul would write, uh, about Christian freedom in his letter to the Romans. And um, he would eventually conclude that there's no better use of your freedom in Christ and for Christ than to sacrifice it for the benefit of others. And this just is the Apostle Paul saying to Timothy, I want your ministry to be bigger, to reach farther. I want it to have more power. And this is one of the ways you can do it. And Timothy, uh, Roman, allowed him to do it. He made the right choice. It's a really, really 
great example for all of us to follow. You know, we've got some pastors here uh, at at our church that are are pretty well tatted, and and uh, I'm kind of take the reverse angle here. But one of the things I always tell them is that with every tattoo they get that's visible, it decreases the number of people who will listen to them when they're teaching the word. Um, there's nothing wrong with tattoos. If I wasn't afraid of the pain, I would probably have some. But the idea here is we want to maximize our audience. We don't want anybody to be looking at us and saying, well, you know, I can't believe that guy got tattoos. Christians shouldn't have tattoos. I want them to hear Jesus. I want them to see Jesus. And sometimes we do things to our bodies that um, will actually turn some people away. Now, we could say, well, well, I'm freed in Christ to do that, and that's just small of him, and it may be small of that person. But remember, the Holy Spirit wants to reach that person because God loves that person, and we want to be a conduit. We want to increase or maximize the scope and the power of our ministry, and that's exactly what Paul was doing with Timothy. And as I said, Timothy, of course, made the right choice. Good question. Here is a question from our mobile app. This one is from Brad. Um, Brad, you pushed my button on this one. It says, how do you feel about churches trying to get younger? Um, Brad, it, it, it actually hurts my heart. I, I mean, when I say hurts my heart, not just emotionally, but physically, it hurts my heart. I'm going to be real practical in this, so so don't jump to conclusions about what I'm about to say. One of the things that we need to understand is if churches are focusing on getting younger, then they're also going to get poorer. When you isolate some of your faithful givers, people that have been around for a long time, um, then the money for ministry is going to dry up because young people typically don't have the resources that others do. And that's just a shoot yourself in the foot thing, and I just don't understand it. But not only that, when we're trying to get younger, we're marginalizing the older people. Now, being an older person myself, I mean, it would be silly if I walked in wearing skinny jeans or if I if I walked in um, uh, with my hair dyed blue or something. Um, um, I, you know, that, that's just not normal. It's not natural. So um, I think what we need to do is understand the value of everybody in our church. And young people need older people in the church. Immature Christians need mature Christians. Um, uh, Young marriages need examples of older godly marriages. And that's why you just minister to whoever shows up and don't even think about it. Brad, in our church, and we're 27 years old here at Calvary Chapel, um, We've never focused on a single group. We don't have a seniors group, and we don't have a a singles group, and we don't have a college and career group. Um, You know, we figure when somebody gets out of high school, they become an adult, they need to act like an adult. And we minister to them that way. But here's what we do. We open the Bible, we teach it, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And when we are teaching the Bible, God then brings people. The book of Acts says, and God adds daily to the church those who are being saved. And the important part of that is God does the adding. He doesn't ask me to pick my audience. He asks me to declare his word. And when you're doing that faithfully, then people from all ages are going to come. And Brad, I don't know you. I don't know if you've ever been to our church. But if you came into our church on Sunday, you could stay three services and you would see the the biggest variety of people, nationalities, backgrounds, age, um, male, female, um, um, new Christians, older Christians. Uh, You'd see a a variety of people that that you just look back and think, well, this is what heaven is going to be like. So why would we want to get younger at the expense of our older ones? It's almost like telling them, because you're not cool anymore, we don't really need you around. I've seen this trend with worship teams. Uh, my worship team was really pretty young um, when when Pastor Lane and the group started. And now I'm, I'm looking at them, and they're all getting older and older and older. Tonight, we've got a worship team that's playing. 
uh, and no, not tonight, but Sunday, um, uh, because Pastor Elaine and, and Jocelyn are out on us, and she's doing a, a concert. Um, uh, and it's going to be younger people, and that's great. But we don't do that on purpose. Uh, we we just want the people that God has chosen to serve, to, to have the opportunity to serve. And as I said, by teaching the Bible, um, by doing what God's asked us to do, he's been faithful to do his part. And his part from the very beginning has been to um, bring people who need to hear the word. And and that is regardless of age, it is regardless of how cool they are or, or, or how cool they're not. Um, it's just God saying, I love them. And I think this move to get younger and younger and to get hipper and hipper uh, is so worldly, so fleshy that God simply can't honor it. And I don't think no matter how good the musicians might be, uh, no matter how cool the, the, the sound effects or the, the, the stage effects might be, um, I don't think it honors the Lord at all. So Brad, as you can tell, I'm not a fan and I've seen it destroy churches and uh, that's sad. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our Friday show, 340-9585. Here is a question. It's actually a statement with a tiny question from Henry. He says, I think free will is an illusion Christians have. And then he just says, agree, with a question mark. Um, Henry, you're wrong. Um, The Bible, from cover to cover, uh, teaches us to make a choice. Um, You go all the way back to um, uh, Cain and Abel. Um, Even farther back than that, in the Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve, they had a choice to make. Um, uh, Choice is part of uh, the, the angels in heaven had a choice to make. Sometime prior to... Um, um, the commentary, the narrative in the Bible. So free will is an, an integral part of of our our. So uh, we're made in the image of God. God chose us, and conversely, we have to make the choice. Joshua said, as he said goodbye to the Israelites, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a choice. Um, In the book of Revelation at the end, Jesus gives an altar call, an invitation. So free will is not an illusion. Uh, I think sometimes our difficulty comes because we can't see beyond, well, God knows everything is going to happen and what we want to do isn't going to change anything. So what difference does it make? Um, the difference is whether or not we get to be used by God. Uh, I can tell you without question that God's will is going to be done, period. The choice we make, Henry, is whether or not we get to be a part of that will. And to do that, we've got to choose to be obedient. We've got to choose to to uh, 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 die to our flesh so we can live for Christ. We've got to choose to believe. Obviously, we've got to choose to be born again. Um, but God doesn't make anybody do anything. Now, obviously, he knows the choices that they're going to make. Um, and God, I always picture him in heaven with this huge Rubik's Cube. And we think we're messing up the cubes, and he just keeps turning it all back to where everything is the same. But but we have, we have a free will choice that has to be made once, but then it has to be reinforced every single day, Henry, about who we're going to serve. You know, and I've said this many times on the show, but but every day I start off with um, um, good morning, Father. Uh, today of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus. 
not by might nor by power, but by your spirit in your name and for your glory. Henry, that's a choice I can make. Now, I can get up tomorrow and I can say, uh, Father, today I'm going to serve me. I, 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 I'm tired of serving Jesus. I'm not getting anything. I'm going to serve me. That's a choice of my own will. And if I make that choice, I can't blame God for it. It's something that I've chosen to do. And it disqualifies me from being able to be used in the plan of God. And yet, even if I were to choose that, Romans 8.28 promises that, that his will is still going to be accomplished whether or not I participate. So, Henry, it's pretty important if God forced us to love him, or, or or didn't give us a choice in rejecting him, then God would cease to be just, which means he would cease to be God. He would no longer be holy. Um, so I hope that makes sense to you. Annette asked this question, would God forgive the devil if he asked for forgiveness? Um, Annette, that's a question that, that really has no merit, and I, I don't mean to make light of your question. But... It's not going to happen in a hypothetical situation like that. There's really no value. I mean, if if we know the devil um, rebelled against God um, and, and is God's enemy, um, and we know he's not going to ask God for forgiveness, why would we be concerned about the question? Here's what I can tell you. And that if you ask for forgiveness, God will grant it. If you ask it with a genuine heart and sincerity of heart, God will forgive you of your sins. He's already demonstrated that in the person of Jesus Christ uh, because he paid the price for your sins because he didn't stay dead. We have the guarantee that forgiveness of sins is ours. It's our born-again birthright. But to ask if uh, somebody who's already died, or in your case, if the devil uh, would be forgiven, uh, and that really there's, there's no value whatsoever in in even trying to offer an answer, it's not going to happen. And so the answer is, the question really doesn't matter. Here's a question from Maria. She says, Isaiah 49 says, Israel is a light to the Gentiles. How can they be a light? Well, Maria, part of the problem with Israel was that they weren't very lighty. (laughs) And by that I mean, instead of being a light to the Gentiles, and we're talking about the pagan nations around them, um, God chose Israel. He gave them the law. He gave them leaders. Uh, He was with them in power. He made great and wonderful promises to Israel. And he did it so that the rest of the world that was was wrapped in darkness could see that there was something different about God's people. You know, theoretically, God's plan is that Israel would love God with all of their heart, strength, soul, and mind. And and that uh, God would be able to bless them abundantly. And then all of the other nations or people groups around them would see that there's something to this this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and they would want it, and it would cause them to change the way they make, uh, the way they live their lives. Um, but of course, Israel didn't do that. Now, I, I think a better application for you and me, Maria, is Jesus says that we're to let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. The question for us to answer is, as the Church of Jesus Christ, as individual born-again Christians, are we living a a life with with a lot of light? And, you know, God wants us to be that which is so attractive it draws others to him. And exactly the same thing was true in the Old Testament uh, when Isaiah is talking about uh, them being a light. Um, unfortunately, you know, God wanted them or hoped that they would influence the world around them. Instead, they were influenced by the world. You know, it's interesting. We're in First Kings on Wednesday nights, uh, Maria. And um, it wasn't long after David was dead that um, even Solomon, blessed by God abundantly beyond anybody else, smarter, wiser than anybody who's ever lived, richer and more powerful. And he was compromised by the world around him. He started marrying foreign women. Uh, they would do that, kings, to make peace with with uh, with Solomon. 
they would they would give them their daughters. That's been going on throughout the history of the world. And it was sort of a peace treaty. And um, um, Solomon would marry all of these different women or have all these different concubines. And they would lead him astray into idol worship. And instead of saying, no, this is a, a nation that belongs to the Lord our God, um, just to keep the peace with a thousand women in his life, he allowed them to continue worshiping false gods to the point where he himself got distracted by them and lost his way. You can read his personal testimony in the book of Ecclesiastes um, when he comes to the conclusion that, you know, everything I did apart from, and I denied myself nothing, but everything I did apart from God was meaningless or emptiness, a chasing after the wind. So they were to be a light in the Old Testament world, Maria, just like we're to be a light in the New Testament world. Mark, oops, I got a phone call, so let me do this first. I've got Steve from Cedar Park on line one. Steve, good to hear from you again. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's Pastor Ron. And uh, this is, I don't know how to ask this question. It's just something after reading the Gospels. So, um, and I know there's no contradictions. I understand that. Um, Mm -hmm. But pastors uh, will always talk about the thief on the cross, you know, siding with Jesus. But Matthew and Mark, say that both the thieves kind of chastised and berated our Lord, and Mm -hmm. only Luke states. So I was just wondering why pastors kind of don't give an explanation maybe um, to that. And I kind of have my idea, certainly. And certainly as as someone uh, being a a human and wanting to think like a man, I'd say, well, John was there. Why didn't John talk about it? Uh, so just, just like you know, uh, just I'd like to hear your uh, comments on that, and uh, I just uh, hope you have a, a wonderful weekend, and certainly always prayers for your services on Sunday. So I'll thank you, on Steve. The radio. God bless you, man. Good to hear from you, and and um, um, I'm sure Sunday will be wonderful. I'm surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of of awesome people every Sunday. It's it's amazing. Um, Steve, th- this is actually a, a, a great picture of what it means to be born again. You're right. In the, in the gospel accounts, uh, we've got um, um, both um, thieves uh, equidistant from Jesus, and, and the, the gospel writers are clear. Both of them hurled insults at him. Um, but there's something about watching Jesus die and now, remember, they were so close to him that, that both of those thieves would have been able to hear Jesus' seven sayings from the, from the cross, his seven last sayings. Um, they would have watched uh, the behavior of the people in front of them. You know, we, we often have a picture of Jesus on the cross, and he's higher than the other two. Um, uh, and then they're, they're well above the other people. That really wasn't the way it was. Um, they would have been sort of almost at eye level. The crosses would have been pounded into the ground. Holes would have been dug out. And so uh, virtually all of the people that were hurling insults and spitting at Jesus and pulling out his beard, um, they they would have been able to, to be face to face with him, at least on eyeball to eyeball level. So everybody would have been able to see here. And, and we've got these two thieves. They both see how Jesus is being mistreated. Imagine what it was like for them when they heard for the very first time, Steve, Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That would have been impossible for them to understand. If he's the Christ, let him come down from there and, and, and mocking, and, and yet Jesus, Jesus didn't do anything. And they would have heard him cry out, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And watching Jesus die and seeing his holiness and his righteousness, the truth is one thief was persuaded that this man was different and the other one wasn't. And it sort of culminates with the the thief that, that we would say got saved the thief, uh, when the other other thief is hurling insults, he says, have you no fear of God? We deserve what we're getting, but this man has done nothing to deserve this. And that's simply him acknowledging 
that God is holy and they deserve what they're getting. That's him saying, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that's the statement of faith that, that got this uh, thief um, into paradise that, that very day with Jesus. So that's kind of what happens when we get born again. Um, the, the Holy Spirit is drawing us to God. Uh, we, we, he's been knocking at the door of our heart. At some point we get to the realization that I deserve hell. And then the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus who doesn't want us in hell. And he invites us to come to him. And we make a change of heart and mind. And that change of heart and mind is what uh, seals our, our, our future in heaven with Jesus. So, Steve, that's all it is. It's not um, the, 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 it, his statement of faith was, uh, I deserve what I'm getting. This man has done nothing wrong. The other guy, have you no fear of God, he tells him. And then he asked Jesus to remember him. And that's exactly what Jesus was eager to do. I'm always amazed. I think about this all the time. And the same thing happens in church services and stuff. Everybody hears the same message. And uh, we'll give an invitation. Sometimes uh, people will come flooding to the front. Other times people just remain steadfast fighting against the, the work the Holy Spirit's doing in their chair. And uh, and they miss out. And, and you're thinking, well, wait a minute. They heard the same message. What's the difference? And the difference is our hearts. And one thief... His heart remained hard. The other thief, after watching Jesus suffer and hearing what he had to say in response, uh, his heart then was transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. Steve, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Here is a question from Mark. He said, uh, Pastor Ron, are there people in heaven praying for us? The answer is, uh, there's only one person in heaven praying for us, and that's Jesus. He ever lives to make intercession. And it's not like Jesus is saying, Father, please protect Ron or please bless Ron at all. It's just that he is an everlasting statement of intercession, according to Hebrews. He always lives to make intercession for us. He opened the door. He gave us access. So, Mark, uh, other than Jesus, there are no people in heaven praying for us. In heaven, they're not watching what's going on here on earth. Um, my grandma, who went to be with Jesus, uh, isn't in there putting in a good word for me. Um, she's in heaven enjoying her Savior. And that's what we need to understand. Uh, we, it's, it's sort of um, goosebumpy to think that my loved ones who've gone on before me are in heaven praying for me. But they don't need to be praying for me. And I don't need them to be praying because Jesus is. So, Mark, that's the only thing we need to remember. There's one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. So, praying for people that have already died has no value. Hoping that people in heaven are praying for us, that has no value. All of the value is placed at the right hand of the Father in heaven where Jesus sits, awaiting that moment where he's going to come for his church. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Carl says, What is the difference between women saying, My body, my choice, and Christians saying the same things about not getting vaccinated? Um, Carl, I, I don't think that's a really honest question. You, you know the, the difference between uh, those things. A woman says, it's my body, my choice, but she is is murdering a human being in her womb. A human being that was formed there by God, now through the creative process that God has given us. But 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 for the moment that a woman is pregnant, from the moment of, of, of pregnancy, um, that's a, a, a living, breathing soul that the mother and hopefully the father are responsible to God to take care of. And and I can say, yeah, this is my body, but I can't choose to murder another body living inside of me. So, uh, Carl, I, I don't really, unless you're just trying to cause problems, I, I just don't understand why you asked the question. I, I don't know how you could not see the difference. Um, 
uh, in terms of vaccination, uh, nobody's dying if if I choose uh, to be vaccinated or don't choose to be vaccinated. I'm not causing harm to anybody else. Um, I would I would ask sort of reverse. Um, why isn't what you say? I would ask pro-lifers uh, who are also pro-vaccination uh, say, you know, you want everybody to get vaccinated. You say it's not, even though it's my body, it's not my choice. Why would you say to a woman carrying a child, carrying life in her womb, why would you say to her that that she has a choice to, to harm that 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 human being? So, Carl, I think you know the answer to that question. We have Ray on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Hi, Ray. Um, I don't know where this came from, but it just popped into my mind, and I I was puzzled about it, because in the past you said that uh, we would, you know, recognize... uh, people in heaven um i'm i'm curious about uh those that had been married um and you know 60 plus years and uh uh not being totally sure if both have uh gone to heaven or not uh, what what happens at at that point? I mean, you know, if if one of the one of the pair is uh, there and the other is not, I'm, I I just I I was it just struck me as what? <laughs> so yeah. I'm gonna listen on the radio. Thank you, Ray. That that's a heartbreaking question for me, um, Ray. You know, um, we just had some people who were in Uvalde uh, ministering. And one of the things that we were able to tell them is that your your babies were ushered into the presence of Jesus, um, and, and they're staring into His face, and they're they're realizing love that was impossible for them to ever be able to comprehend. And then we were able to tell people, if you want to see them again, and you can, it has to be in heaven, and to get to heaven, you have to be born again. Um, in unequally yoked marriages that you refer to, where one person goes to heaven and the other one doesn't. I tell people all the time, and, and of course there's a lot of unequally yoked marriages, I tell people all the time, just tell your husband or tell your wife that you can't imagine heaven without them. I mean, I, I, I Paula hung in there with me. Um, I, I can't imagine me getting to heaven and Paula not being there. So... Uh, it's not because we're going to be married in heaven. We're, we're going to be married to Jesus. Um, but we have to remember, Ray, that heaven is a whole new order of things. Uh, no more bad memories, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. Um, and so we're not going to remember. When we get to heaven, we're not going to remember people that that we loved, family members, um, spouses. Um, we're not going to remember them um, when we get to heaven, because that would that would cause sadness, and and uh, you know people think that's cruel, but but uh, you know heaven is going to be nothing but joy, and, and when I say a whole new order of things, we we can't really comprehend that. Um, but yeah, we're going to know one another, um, and, and though we won't be married, Paul and I won't be married in heaven. Um, but I always say God's going to make her hang out with me, and we're going to love each other. At, a, at, a, at an infinitely greater depth than we can even possibly imagine now. So when you get to heaven, Ray, or, or, or when anybody gets to heaven, uh, we're not going to see um, um, people that we had problems with. We're, we're not going to remember any of those things. What we're going to do is we're going to have a lot of repenting to do. Uh, I think there's going to be a, a moment in heaven when we look at people and say, I'm so sorry, and they're going to say, well, I'm sorry too. I think in, in the case of marriages, especially unequally yoked marriages, where somebody comes to faith in Christ later and, and makes it to heaven by the skin of their teeth, I think um, that that um, we're going to recognize and completely own our ungodly behavior 
to those people. And and then the ultimate reconciliation is going to occur. And once that happens, then, again, there's not going to be anything that would ever bring us sorrow again. So, Ray, thank you for that. I appreciate it. I think i got time for one more call um, or one more question. Here's a question from Jerry uh, with an I. So this is a female Jerry. Or what is the key to resolving conflict in a marriage? Jerry, it's so simple. Agree with Jesus. You can agree. Right right now, I can promise, Jerry, for, for anybody, no matter how bad the marriage is, I can promise them that they never need to have another argument, ever, with their spouse. And all they have to do is agree to agree with God. You see, arguments and conflict in marriages are a result of uh, one person wanting their way and the other person wanting their way and they're butting heads about doing it their way. But if two Christians, and this ought to be simple, it ought to be logical, if two Christians can look at one another and say, we both love Jesus, so let's agree together to do what Jesus wants us to do instead of trying to fight and get what we want. And then there will be no more conflict because the Bible tells us what to do. All we have to do is put it into practice. Now, obviously, to do that, we've got to be uh, walking in the spirit rather than in the flesh. Um, but but it, 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 it literally is possible, gloriously possible, that a husband and wife never have to argue again. That doesn't mean you're not going to get on each other's nerves, but you don't have to respond. It doesn't mean that you're not going to want a different result. But here's the thing. If we have enough faith in God, in Jesus Christ, to believe that his way is better than our way, we're actually winning by losing. Genesis 32, Jacob won, but only when he lost. Tonight, a reminder, there's no uh, Bible study. Tonight will be our afterglow here at Calvary Chapel. And on Sunday, a message on marriage and remarriage and divorce Um, Thanks for tuning in. It's been a good week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back on Monday on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.